From Bravery Media, this is Thought Feeder. My name is Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the noble John Stephen Stancil. We are very excited to have my good friend Ashley Budd on the show today. Ashley, thanks for being on the show. Hi, how are you? Yay, hi, I'm good. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Ashley, I've known you for a very long time, uh, and your I guess in the last, I don't know, probably like five years, maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit longer, but five years, you've kind of uh, rocketed into this sphere of, uh, I don't know, like trustworthiness and reliability in the whole world of advancement and particularly fundraising and engaging communities. And we want to have a conversation with you today about how you've done that, uh, because uh, I think most people who have been in your workshops uh, at various conferences or have talked to you uh, on the internet or uh, you know a plug for your, your newsletter, uh, follow you, know that you just kind of bring a sense of innovation to our entire industry. Uh, so first off, give us kind of a, a summary of what you're what you're doing. Like tell tell everyone who's listening what your uh, what your current situation is and all the things you're focusing on. Yeah, uh, I think to cut to the trustworthiness, I think I'm just sharing. Oh, totally, oversharer is one of my identities. So. Um, that helps, you know, tell people <laughs> about things. Um, they tend to trust you more when you're honest and open. And so that's, what I think what I'm doing, but, um, what I'm actually doing is probably like 19 different jobs. No, that's not true. Um, uh, I like to have my hands in a lot of things. So I think I'm also sharing a lot about like, um, things that I'm thinking about kind of sideways and things that are overlapping and that sort of stuff. But, uh, day job is director of marketing operations in the advancement unit at Cornell university. And it's been a pretty cool path to get there. I started as a social media strategist in 2013 and in 2014, I went remote, which was cool. That was really good. Uh, almost 10 years uh, working remotely. So I really do feel like an OG in that um, space. And then um, we actually called our unit the digital innovation unit for a while. And then we, we, we dropped the innovation word because it was just like, I think, too buzzwordy <laughs> for us. Um, but it, like now that it's coming back, I, like it, you mentioned it this morning, I was like, oh, that sounds respectable again. OK, that's good. Um, so uh, but our unit was really, I think, unique. I and mean, we can talk about that more. Um, and now we've merged teams. I think we've gone through thinking about new digital strategies to like actually trying to implement them. And what that means is like culture change, structure change. So been living that. And Amazing. yeah, <laughs> and it's like really working. Um, I am so fortunate to be at a place that has resources to do this stuff. And I think that like, just to bring it back to the oversharing part, I know that other places can't do what I'm doing and I want other people to be able to like translate it for whatever it is for them. Um, and learn from what, like learn from what works, like invest in the stuff that works and maybe skip the things that we learn don't work. 
um, and don't waste your time on that. So that's where I, I love contributing that back to the industry. Um, that feels really good. So one of the things that I've thought about a lot hearing, uh, some of your talks at conferences and and just kind of following not just you but your your coworkers and all the people that are getting this stuff work uh, this this work done with you Dream uh, team. is yeah you have a ridiculously talented and amazing team um, I think what strikes me as kind of empowering a lot of the the really cool like wins and metrics that you all have had is this sense of constantly engaging your alumni community and it's not accidental y'all have done a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of uh, a lot of thinking and strategizing around uh, how to engage and and actually build that community up um, yeah. and I think that's what a lot of advancement and development offices really want to do I think it's what a lot of you know social media managers in higher ed want to do I think it's what a lot of marketers want to do with their respective audiences um, when you look at you know, the last several years of kind of building that machine. Are there a, a couple of strategies that kind of stuck out to you or a couple maybe overarching uh, approaches that you and the team have taken to uh, make sure that you are building that community and, and engaging those people? Yeah, it makes me think about like, first props to Cornell for making the investment. Uh, even before me, uh, they... Um, uh, it's Chris Marshall was, um, leading the alumni affairs team at Cornell. Um, and again, like disruptor, um, brought my boss, Andrew Gosen, who I've worked with, um, in my almost 10 years at Cornell. And, um, at the time, so I think that was like around 2009. And at the time, where like these alumni organizations are organized by regions. A lot of the emphasis was on the Cornell Club of New York or Sarasota or Sheboygan, <laughs> right? And they um, knew when social media hit that like now we now our next region is the, like it's this place. And how do we think about applying what we know works in a kind of regional, like what we know works about alumni communities and how do we apply that to this new community thing? Um, and so super smart to be like, Hey, this is a thing we need to figure out. Let's steal Andrew from Princeton, let him build a team. And that's the team I joined as a social media strategist. And so that was cool. And thinking about the mindset really from this digital engagement. And we were so well positioned with, you know, for the next 10 years for what was happening. So I think that's where we kind of had that like leading edge kind of thought around what are the digital engagement things that are working? Um, how do we apply that to advancement and having three full-time, like three FTEs working on social media strategy in 2013 in advancement is bananas. It's still bananas. I don't do that. Like my team does not have that. <laughs> um, not, not saying you need to have that. Like now we almost, it's like half a FTE really, um, dedicated to just social, but that's because now marketing operations is 16 people. Let's talk a bit about, about the breakdown of, of that team. Like, you say you've got, got 16 people on your marketing team, which is a, a fair number of people. So what, what, what does that look like and how are the, those roles divided? Um, well, let's understand scale, too, because 
you don't need 16 people unless you're tasked with raising $5 billion and engaging 200,000 alumni, which, which I have contact information only for like another 75,000. <laughs> so it's like touch everybody, raise a ton of money. Um, that's the scale we're talking about. So like scaling it down, what I think a good conversation, like a good translatable conversation is what kind of roles are, um, I think like really important to get the work done. Um, and so on the team, we have, um, new to the team, like growth areas have been an email and, um, marketing analytics. Um, those are positions like email specialists and marketing analytics specialists did not exist even before 2020. Um, so that's a really cool new, um, part of the team that's making us move so much faster than we could before. Um, another thing that we did, which I think was smart, um, in advancement, we had the digital team that I was on. We had a brand and communications team for advancement and we had an annual giving marketing team. We merged those together. That's how I end up with 16 people because there were people doing pockets of writing, um, and, strategy and, um, publishing in all of those areas. And so we streamlined now the writers are writing everything. Um, but they're together and they're writing with one voice to one audience, like great, duh, this is like much more efficient, much, much more effective. Um, so that's how we get to more people too, was like thinking about bringing those teams together. Um, and, kind of having all the content creators then handing off to people who are doing publishing. So I think about when we started working in social media and you had, like I was doing everything, right? I like, I was a graphic designer, a writer and publisher. I needed to know everything about the platform and also be able to like create stuff. Um, now there's people who create stuff, they create it multi-channel and the reason I only have half a person dedicated to social media is because his expertise right now is the publishing channel. And that's like really what he needs to know. Like, how do I publish? And like, how do like, what's the best way to do that? And the content's coming to him. Um, so, and then it gives him room really the other half of the job is built because it's an entry, like it's an entry level position and I want to be able to grow that person. And so like, what else do you want to do? Do you want to help support this texting campaign? Do you want to help support direct mail? Do you want to help, you know, are you more creative? Do you want to like do more content creation? So, um, that that's like made, I think, um, it's, it's still like the kind of generalist role it always was, I guess, but, uh, like right-sized, honest. That makes so much sense. Like, I mean, as social media grows, you know, I, I, I know I am having a harder time keeping up with so many different channels and different types of content creation. And there are things that I want to do and, and, and very lucky, you know, you mentioned having, having a, a, a specific anal marketing analytics person and, you know, that, that, Three. Oh, awesome. And, and, and that that's so new, new to me, too. My, my current role, like, OK, I, I have the analytics off of my plate and can can focus on the creation. But also, like ha, what, you know, I find so helpful is we have dedicated analytics people who understand it so much better 
than I ever could as a generalist, but coming together and then like collaborating. Okay. Yeah. Here are the, the your social analytics. Let's t- hash out what they could mean. Um, so, so do you find some collaboration between some of these roles like, like that where, yeah, and I want to share more about these roles too, because if you're thinking about, you know, if you're a listener, hi listener, um, uh, if you're thinking about who are these people that are on my team, um, the, the marketing analytics team are also audience management. So they're like, they understand the database. They, um, know how to like, kind of help you tell that full circle story. Who was the audience? Who did it get sent to? Who actually received it? Who converted? Who do we do? Like it's that group. So it might be the person that's like pulling lists for you, you know, um, it's that role. Um, but like then elevating it to really giving them the kind of performance analytics work that ends up living sometimes like with, with a strategist or like, you know, with the person who's doing everything else and you don't get it, you know, you never get enough time to like do the reporting that you want to do or like get into the weeds on like, how did that thing do? Or I want to test something, you know, that's what we're leaning on that team for. And a lot of it was like, we just had it, we wanted to do a lot of volume. And so we were going to need like a lot of, you know, two of the roles are really like dedicated to supporting, like getting those audience lists for all the stuff that we're doing. Yeah. It's a cool job. <laughs> Especially if you like spreadsheets. Like you like spreadsheets, this is a cool job. <laughs> Those people do exist. So yeah. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's the kind of position that you know back, I mean, back, you know, six, seven years ago, only kind of like mega universities had marketing and data analysts like on staff and were building out these or like teams. marketing departments. Right. And and today there there are like very few institutions that have any of those people anywhere in the entire vertical. You know, they don't have they 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 don't they don't have those people that are able to look at uh, all of the all the data that's coming in from from open rates, from how people are using websites, from you know, especially like this whole kind of like deep 360 view of what's going on with an institution's marketing from top to bottom. Um, it's just it's just very rare within higher ed. I wonder if you could dive in a little bit to the difference that having those people, those roles makes for the work that you all are doing, you know, beyond just like, cool, you get the data. But like, I mean, what are what are kind of those tangible outcomes? What were what was the rationalization for building out, you know, that specific practice and hiring those those roles? Yeah, we had a moment in time, fall of 2020, we were like looking internally, um, you know, what are, let's look at every person's role. What do we need? And, um, Cornell was in a great position to, you know, they were able to keep everybody whole and lots of places were not adding roles, but I had for so long been making a case for like, we could do more, we can engage more people and we can bring in more gifts. If we, um, you know, if we do these things, if we grow the email team, this is something that even, you know, colleagues of mine have been working on <laughs> you know, for years and years and years, we should grow the email team, we should grow the email team. And so while we were at that moment, um, um, one of the directives for, you know, going forward in 2020 was to use technology to engage more people like that's what we were going to do this was like a scalable thing that we could do and so that's where the investment came from um 
so again, it feels like Cornell just like being smart. Uh, me selfishly, like let's bring it back to me. Uh, me selfishly, like I was really curious about what would it be like to run an agency? How do I, like, how would I build one internally? How do I position this marketing team to serve the whole division, all the alumni, and then also this annual giving program that we had just merged, which makes the team accountable for gifts under a thousand dollars. Like if that, uh, f- the big fat part of the pyramid is not healthy, like that's, a, we're accountable for that. And, um, it's really nice to be able to tie your projects to gifts, you know, that a lot of marketing departments are like budget held because they can't be like, Oh, if I do this though, like we're going to raise more money. Right. And then because my team is making, showing the connection between the engagement work that we're doing, like this engagement work is driving this other thing too. Um, that is super helpful. So pulling those teams together, um, that was something we did before the pandemic. Um, but pulling together like the people who were communicating with that annual giving marketing team was, um, that was a good move. I recommend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, cause it, you know, being in higher ed social or in the more overall university marketing space, central space, it, it's so tough because it, it seems a little scary to like look at giving and go, Oh, my, my work is going to be tied to a num a dollar number, right? But in a way, it's kind of liberating because it's like, hey, my value is tied to a dollar number. I can point and say we did this. Uh, whereas in central marketing, it's a little bit more. Well, I've got some you know regular data for you, but you know central is hard. Like I thought that was the path I was on. Like I was at a tuition driven institution, my alma mater, RIT. You know the focus there. You know I was kind of spinning the same focus, but you know it's revenue the other end of the business, right? So just t- trying to tie that to students and the stuff that I was doing. And then I figured, oh, I'll, I'll go learn advancement. I'll try to understand that end of the business, and I'll land somewhere centrally at the university doing communication centrally because I'll understand it all. But then I realized that no, that's a totally different job. That's like job number three, right? That's the brand. That's like the whole, the, like it's the community engagement, different from. Um, I'm trying to put people on like these more specific paths to enroll or become a volunteer for the university or be a donor. Um, so I was like, no, 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 actually like, I like staying on these ends where like, I can tie it to revenue or like, you know, and so I, I know, um, Kali, that's why I stay where I am because I do think that like central role is really hard when you're, you're accountable for the brand, um, and that, um, the ROI on that is not as clear as like someone just made a $50,000 gift because I sent that email. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Bingo. Right? <laughs> it's so much more direct. And and that makes the case for like so much restructuring at universities. Right. And the central marketing office is kind of the redheaded stepchild sometimes where it's like, Oh, okay. Well you're under enrollment management now. Oh, Okay, well, somebody new comes in. Now you're under advancement, and that central marketing team is solely changes and like has to 
alter to the whims of whatever place they're in now. And there's so much value in being in one place and becoming that expert in that area and having the central marketing office be their own thing and do their own thing. Yeah. Um, and, And rather than just, okay, well, whatever VP is, you know, arguing the most for ha- having, having this under them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think it, it's valuable to have it very specialized and have the central marketing office and then marketing for advancement and admissions and all of that together. So have you had to do much like bridge building though, between central and, and what you all do in advancement and development? Like, are there, I know a lot of institutions, like, so I started out in advancement, uh, marketing within advancement, and, uh, you know, got a kind of crash course in small regional college development work and everything else uh, as we were doing other stuff. But I think as I moved around, as I you know, I worked at two different institutions and then being on the agency side and looking at a lot of different institutions and how they're set up, you never really know what that focus is going to be. But one thing that seems really common uh across the industry is that disconnect between uh, organizations, you know, everyone siloing, blah, blah, Yeah. like, you know, <laughs> so like, I guess like uh, in, in your view and your experience at Cornell, what's the thing that allows your office to be super effective with uh, utilizing the Cornell brand uh, and engaging your specific communities? Like, have there been like strategic things? Have you had like challenges over the years that you've been there? What's what are some of the the key things you've noticed? We're always better. Like we always have a better relationship when we're working on something together. Um, so if we're working on launching a capital campaign, right? Like we're in much more constant uh, and I'm thinking specifically about like the communications teams, um, not like what goes in at like the presidential and trustee level. Thing. Sure, like, sure. We're, I, like no one can control those silos. Um, <laughs> but you know, like marketing team to marketing team, right? Like central to advancement. Um, when we are collaborating on something for the brand that we know is going to be like alumni and development facing like a campaign or, um, our 150th anniversary, our sesquicentennial campaign was another one where it was like, we're going to get like, we're going to have to agree on what this looks like. And so I find that the times that we're working together is the times where we're like, I don't know, like we like treat each other more like humans, (laughs) like, you know, we're working on the same project. And when we're not working on something together, it's like easier to be like, Oh, the central office, you know, like, And some, you know, and like, it's easier to treat them as if they're not on the same team. Um, and that I think is, that's what I like, that's just my reflection on how it's, how it's goes when we, when you have open communication, it goes much better. Um, and I think we can all learn from, you know, how, how you work with a distributed team. I think this conversation is much easier now. I'm like much more relatable now. Like we're not in the office together. We're not in physical spaces together, but it doesn't mean that you can't slack someone or team someone a quick question and act like you are team members that that should be like part of the culture, I think. (laughs) Exactly. It's that convincing too, that like, Hey, we are on the same team. Like we have mutual interests, like from, from, from the central marketing office perspective, like you get so much of like, Oh, well the central marketing office is not doing enough for, 
our department or whatever, and they don't they don't care about it. So they, no, we do. <laughs> we just have so much going on, and it does take that communication of like, okay, we need to talk. Let's go have coffee. Let's go do something. Yeah, what are you working on? And how can we collaborate? Like, how can we streamline? How we can make this more? Like, what are you working on that I can steal from so that I don't have to do more work? Like that is how exactly should be thinking. You never want to like find a project, but you should be identifying projects where the teams should be working together. And like, if you're a manager model that I encourage the, the open conversation, it's like, ask them the question (laughs) instead of being afraid of what the answer is. It's that a lot of time, like you're afraid you're going to get a no, or you're afraid that you're annoying someone. I don't know. Be annoying. (laughs) Ashley, I think you've seen a lot of trends in your time working uh, in in well the roles that you have at Cornell and I remember you know years ago you were kind of spearheading micro donations and you all were kind of the ahead of the game on a lot of these tactics that I think have are kind of pervasive now in in higher advancement uh, two two questions or two parter so one uh, what what do you think is important right now for for advancement development offices to be looking at in terms of how they communicate uh, in in ways that you know produce results? And two, are there any things that you're thinking about for the future that you think are going to be new kind of tactics or trends that folks should be watching out for? So let's see what we should be paying attention to right now. Um, I think if you were to make an investment in anything right now, it would be email marketing campaigns. Email's not dead. (laughs) Uh, It's the number one converter of all things I'm trying to get my people to do. Um, It doesn't mean that the other channels don't in other ways. I think social media is a powerful awareness raising tool. And if people don't know what you're doing, they're not going to do it because of the email that you send. Um, so it's like sending emails also like having enough communication. So, um, uh, one of the workshops that I've been doing for years now, and it's still important for people to understand is about how to set up a a campaign and have enough awareness raising content, have enough content that tells people why that's the one we miss so much. Um, and my team's investing in creating a bunch of why give content for this quarter. (laughs) Um, we just published an article. We're, um, we have a video that we're working on. We're working on social media assets and it's because we don't have enough of it. And we don't have enough. That's like really like slaps. (laughs) Um, so, uh, we're working on that and we're doing it because on March 16th, we have our giving day and we like, don't want to miss convincing people that it's a thing worth doing. So having enough of that stuff and like, I think, um, and then also having enough of like the follow-ups that feel good, the engagement things, um, we invest a lot in that. Next week, we're launching Cornerdle, which is a Cornell Wordle. Um, and so, like, we invest in making games because they make people smile and it like makes people connect with us. And it's a nice like thank you for being part of our community. Um, uh, so that kind of stuff. That you know, uh, more email communication. Like these audiences 
want it. Like this is your brand that they actually adore. Um, you know, like they have pride in their school. Um, you know, maybe not everybody, if they had a bad experience, we can talk about that, like how to overcome that. um, Talk about my grad school experience. (laughs) Um, perhaps, you know, like if you have, you know, if you're the school that's in that position, like you got to think about how you're providing new value because you know, you can, um, but, um, but yeah, like people have a really high tolerance for email pain from brands that they love. Think about like how, like the brands that you let flood your inbox, you know, um, and you do it maybe not because you want seven emails, but like you want, you don't want to miss the ones that are really good. (laughs) Um, so that's the thing for right now. I think I'm really, um, jazzed on, um, I know that there's more that we can do in other spaces too. Um, you know, we still bring in the most revenue from direct mail, just like so outside my comfort zone. Um, and you know, it's still like, you know, one piece over a million dollars. Like you can't like the return on investment is just crazy. So I'm just really curious what's going to happen with the channels, like, like how people are going to want to receive information. I'm like a little bit of a communication history nerd. And I love just how like we evolved from like calling on people's houses and saying hello to the, like what the telephone did and then like what the internet did and what social media did. And so, um, there's like weird shifts between like private networks. And, um, I think it's, it's important to pay attention to where people want to be communicated with. And that has been changing really fast. I don't know. I, I like, see now I'm starting to get into like my interviewer seat and like, I want to hear more. We talk about future stuff. I want to hear more what you guys are thinking about that. <laughs> I, I, it, it's diversifying very rapidly. People are, yeah, the, the, the platforms are changing and people's attitudes are changing. And also I think there's a big element of Gen Z who got it hammered into them. Like don't post on social, you won't get a job or get into college. And which is terrible because it's not really true. Like, yeah, don't, don't, you know, post dumb things online, but like, <laughs> you know, it can actually help you get a job. I, that, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that, but, but I think there's also, it, it's driven them into being one more intentional about what they do post, but also into spaces that are more private. So more peer to peer and that, that, is difficult for marketers for many reasons like but from a social listening perspective from an engagement perspective it makes things a lot harder but also finding avenues where we can be in those communities um discord is a big one like okay well we can you know it's not somewhere your traditional social media but we can we can have a presence there and and it be a little bit more personable. So the the challenge I think is is staffing all of that because a university can't have somebody dedicated for every single channel. Um, like, you know, an entertainment property that I work on might, you know. Uh so I I, I think just as students are being more intentional about where they post. I think universities have to be more intentional about where they are. You just can't be everywhere anymore. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I've been thinking, I've been thinking more along the lines of kind of UX and engagements that 
we can do with websites because that's where i live most of the time uh but also content you know the all the all the ai stuff has been coming up i mean at what point are you going to be able to allow your ai bot to actually interact with people um when the singularity actually does hit because it probably will at some point um but i mean even even inside bravery like we've been you know everyone has to have some sort of ai strategy even if that's we're not going to use it um because it's it's not leaving um as much as some people might want it to um but i but i also think there's you know one of the things to keep in mind is that it doesn't mean that you can just get rid of jobs or people that are actually doing it's gonna make it so much easier like i'm team bring on the robots and i have been like automate my stuff do this like these repeated tasks like let's get rid of it and if so, if a if a ai wants to give me recommendations love it like Give them to me. Give me all the ideas. I want all the ideas. And yeah, and then you're going to pick the best one. And tweak it so it sounds like a real person did it. You know, and, and that's the thing. At some point, like, I think it's important that we don't just assume that there's like bots or AI is just going to do everything for us without any intervention. Because at some point then, like, cool, all the content's generic. It's like the same algorithms are generating it. But finding ways to use it to increase our productivity or efficiency or increase what... Uh, or, you know, even improve how we're talking about stuff and what our approaches are. You know, a lot of the uses for like getting past like a brain block, like is super helpful. So we've been thinking in terms of how that's going to affect other places. But, I, you know, I, for me, it's just been looking at my own usage of various communication platforms. And, you know, to JS's point, like I'm in a few more discords than I ever thought I would be. But it's generally like I'm talking about baking bread with a bunch of bread nerds and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we, we taught, we, we, uh, we talked on, I think it was our, our last recording, like, you know, TikTok as a channel, like I'm less like thinking about TikTok as an actual channel, but I'm thinking in terms of like how people use and interact with that interface. And like, are there ways to start using some of those patterns in other ways of communicating and in website design in ways that we, uh, you know, kind of bring people into our content and find ways to make that stuff stickier as we're communicating. So I, it's it's an interesting. We're in a really weird time because I think to to JS's point, the 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 diversification or I would say like fragmentation of like all like our attention everywhere and all the different platforms that people are on and we have to be on is just really. Maybe not unprecedented, but it's definitely at a scale that's larger than I think we've experienced. There's a couple other future things that are on my mind. Um, one is part of, you know, part of how I've got this engagement engine running right now is knowing who's interacting, right? Like knowing who's downloading the digital download of the week, knowing who's watching the videos, knowing. And so that we can keep giving them what they want. We can follow up and you know, Google Analytics is now illegal in the EU. <laughs> you know, like now there, you know, I was in the UK twice this fall and I can't answer, like, I can't be the person talking about privacy on the panel. I'm like, we don't do that in America. Um, so I'm thinking about like how I'm collecting all of this information about people and wanting to like future proof myself because uh, we are living in the world of like, we get all the info right now. And at some point 
I don't know, maybe not, maybe we're too capitalist. Um, but at some point, like America's going to be like, please stop um, with the data mining. Um, California, you see it state by state too, though. I mean, California's in, enacted a bunch of laws like that. It keeps spreading across the country. Yeah. But like, I was, I was watching that all go down like in September, um, when I was in the UK and it was just like, that was a, Oh, I'm in a bubble moment. I'm not thinking about this. And the other one was, um, the just the social consciousness and like green web sustainability consciousness of Europe and the UK that we don't have either. And I wonder once that does like that's one that I do think we'll get to this generation and how much are they oh, yeah. like obsessed with digital the way millennials are. <laughs> um so um, that I think that actually gave me a little bit of hope. Like we, like, we're going to find some balance here that, um, will kind of sort itself out and maybe we can create, like, I think we're going to, I'm going to have to then create communities where people are authenticating in, right. And having enough value in there that it's worth doing that because otherwise I'm not going to know if you're there or not. Totally. That's, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's that that standpoint on privacy issues where it's not that, Oh, you can't get the data. It's that they have to let you. And so it does put a lot more pressure on those of us on the, the content creation, the engagement side of things to make people want what we're giving them. And then, you know, in your, in your case, then that they'll turn around and give you money back. So <laughs> that would be nice. Ashley, bud, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, do you have anything that, that you'd like to plug? Please let people know. Uh, I'm on the internet. I think Ashley bud ranks appropriately on Google search. Uh, my website's ashleybud.com and I have a newsletter that I owe everybody soon. Um, and you can subscribe right there. Thank you so much for listening to Thought Feeder. Thanks again to Ashley Bud for being on. Ashley, thank you. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, we would really appreciate a rating and a review wherever you find your podcast. You can also go to thoughtfeederpod.com, listen to back episodes of everything we've recorded over the last 50 some years, no, 50 some episodes, and find transcripts for every one of those. Find us on Twitter if we're kind of there at ThoughtFeedPod. We're also on Instagram and pretty much anywhere else you might want to be on social media. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.